So today, uh, acting badly but feeling good. What in the world is that all about? Well, some Christians are, are depressed because they are, they've concluded, when I fail, I'm a failure. When I act badly, I'm a bad person. And, uh, and it, it, it affects their self-image. And some of their depression is bound up with a sense of uh, feeling bad about themselves and carrying around false guilt that God doesn't want us to have. And so we're going to be looking at the glorious truth of who we really are uh, in Christ Jesus. And hopefully the Lord can use that to set uh, some of us free. I'm going to just uh, tell you a story. I was a junior in college. I remember I was in the cafeteria, and a teaching fellow came and sat down, and, and I, I knew who he was because he lived in the dorm with me. I didn't know the guy. Uh, but he said, hey, Mike, um, I'm wondering if you would be willing to counsel a, a fellow student. I was intrigued. Oh, that's what you're telling me. He said, well, um, they've got this gal. She's in your class, and she's come to me for help. She is uh, really depressed. She feels terrible about herself, uh, and she's asked me to help her. I, I don't know how to help, help her. And, but I found out, talking to her, that she comes from a, a kind of a Christian background. I know you're a Christian. Um, I thought maybe you could talk to her and, and be of some help. I was, I was kind of flattered. I was sort of surprised because at Harvard we had a, an entire counseling department that was free to students. Um, but I said, you know, maybe naively, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. So I began to meet with Becky. And here was her story. Um, I, I called her up, and we sat down. She said, okay, so Mike, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. My dad was the principal of the Christian school. I was in church all the time. I sang in the choir, uh, was involved in the youth group. I, I kind of, I know it all. But uh, a little while back, I was uh, at one of the, college parties, and I began drinking, and then I ended up uh, sleeping with a guy. And ever since then, uh, my world has just, you know, been in an upheaval. When I look at myself in the mirror, I see a bad person. And I've been feeling worthless. I've been feeling uh, terrible. And, and I've begun to act out of that. And I know it. She said, now I, I'm at the point where I just, I sleep with anybody who asks me whether, even if I don't want to, I, it's like I'm just fulfilling this, I'm living out of this self sense of I'm worthless, I'm bad, therefore, why not just do bad things? That's who I am. And so, can you help me? I'm not sure if she really thought I could help her, but she was open. Now, what might the world uh, advise Becky? Now, some people would just say, Becky, the problem is you're naming normal college behavior, you've labeled it bad. Take the label off. Stop calling uh, sleeping with somebody before marriage sin, and you'll stop thinking of yourself as a sinner. Stop labeling your behavior as bad, you'll stop thinking of yourself as bad. Take the labels off, and you'll get rid of this uh, unhealthy guilt that's been foisted upon you by your narrow, Christian, constricted upbringing. And that's the path to freedom. That's the path to, to help. problem is that is, is presuming that uh, Becky is a Christian and dealt with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is going to convict her of her sin. 
and uh, behavior that is, you know, that kind of behavior is not God's best for us. It's unhealthy, and it, it doesn't come with a joy attached to it. It does come with um, some consequences. So how did I advise her? Here's what I told Becky. I said, all right, I talked to her about two things. First off, I reminded her some some basic Christian concepts that have fa- fancy words but are very, very important. And I've got a chart here. Uh, I don't think I drew her a chart, but uh, let me walk this through with you really quickly. I talked to her about justification, sanctification, glorification. Uh, justification happens the moment we become Christians. The moment we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, God declares something to be true about us. He says, I declare you righteous. I declare you justified, just as if we'd never sinned. In addition to that, the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. It is, uh, technical word, imputed to us. It becomes ours. Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. We are in Christ. And so the real me is hidden, as the Bible says, Uh, in God, with Christ in God. That's the real me. The real me is I am righteous. I am uh, holy. I am a saint. That's who I am. That's the way God wants me to think of myself. So that's justification. And then, then there's something else that happens the moment we become Christians, and that is the spirit of the living God indwells us, and we begin a process of becoming like Jesus, in our actual behavior and our thought life and our ambitions, but it's a lifelong process of of becoming in actuality what we are in reality. And that process looks like the stock market, right? Hopefully the trajectory is going up, but sometimes there are massive crashes and and times of, uh, of, of great failure. But what God does not want us to do, I told Becky, look, what God does not want us to do is pin our um, self-image to our performance. Because if our self-image is linked to our performance, then inevitably we're going to feel like failure sometimes. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to, uh, uh, to grasp our identity in Christ The righteousness of Christ is ours so that when God looks at you, Becky, he sees perfection, holiness, good all the time. But what about my behavior? My behavior is is sometimes terrible. True. It's not who you really are. Now then, so that's the first thing. I talked about glorification, by the way, is the happens at, our, at the time of death when all of a sudden our, uh, the actual and the real become one and the same. Second big concept I talked to her about, I said, listen, God has built uh, a process for us to handle our failures. And it's the, it's the uh, simple process of confessing our sins and then finding forgiveness. And so I took her to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. I reminded her, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there's the, this applies to Christians too. None of us are without sin. So the, the key to freedom is not to bury your head in the sand and deny what's true about you. 
It, rather, it's this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession is to say, God, my behavior, my attitude, my uh, thinking, my ambitions, they're not in line with who I really am as a child of God. And I'm sorry for that. And, and I want to do it differently. Please help me. That's confession. And when we confess, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so how, God has built a process into place, I, I reminded Becky, for us to, when we fail, to, to get, get back up and then get on with the, the important business and the joy-filled business of becoming more and more like Jesus and growing spiritually. He doesn't want us to get stuck. And then I took her to one more passage, very important passage, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, in which uh, the Apostle Paul contrasts godly sorrow with worldly sorrow. And the problem was Becky was caught up in worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. This is the second letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In, in his first letter, he chastised the Corinthians. He reproved them, uh, admonished them for allowing uh, a bunch of sexual perversion to go unchecked within their community. But apparently his first letter had created uh, a change. And so in his second letter, he writes this. Second Corinthians 7, 9. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, because, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And I said, listen, Becky. Yes, what you did was wrong. Uh, you have failed morally. The Spirit of God is pointing that out in your life and convicting you of it. But the Spirit of God convicts sin for one reason, so that we will repent and then find restoration and, and get back up and become free so we can move forward. And it leaves no regret. The sorrow of God leads to repentance which leads to life and leaves no regret behind. Worldly sorrow, which comes not from God, but from the other place. Worldly sorrow is, points out our mistakes and then says, you did bad, you're a bad person. You failed, you're a failure. What you did was horrible, you're horrible. And then you swirl down and down and down. And God does not want his children caught in that downward swirl. The evil one does. The evil one had Becky caught up in that, in that unproductive sorrow. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes Christians can feel like, well, my self-loathing, uh, that's necessary to true repentance. Right? If I don't feel bad about myself, well, that means I'm making light of my failure, light of my sin. But it doesn't. Now, I wish this had a good story had a good ending, but it doesn't. Uh, Becky never 
far as I know, at least when I was there, we became uh, pretty good friends over the next year and a half, hung out a lot together. And she never found freedom. Hopefully she has, but she hadn't while I was there. And here's why. Uh, I would, you know, check with, in with her periodically, and she said, look, Mike, when I look in the mirror, the loudest voice in my head is the voice that says, you're worthless. And I said, but that's not what God says. You talked about what God says about you. Why, why can't you listen to the voice of God? And she just said, I'm sorry, it's the loudest voice. And I learned through uh, that experience and my friendship with Becky, I learned uh, the importance of faith to healing. If you want to be healed, you have got to have faith, which mean, meant in this case, you let God's voice speak loudest. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I think sometimes the voice of God is the, the, the quiet voice in your head. But by faith, you say, that's truth. And I'm, an, I'm going to act upon that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to base my feelings upon what God says in his word is true about me. Listen, if you are a Christian, if you're a child of God, um, you might have very significant failures. But God wants you to not focus on that. He wants you to be confident about who, who he has declared you to be, that you are righteous. And he wants you to just confess that failure, get up, and move forward. I wrote this, uh, I mean, here's the purpose statement I wrote for this sermon. I want to share it with you. I said, here's what I want to do in today's message. I want to help Christians feel right even when they act wrong. Not so that we are desensitized about sin, but so that we don't get caught up in the self-destructive sorrow of the world that says, I'm bad, so why even try to be good? I want to inspire people to pursue Christ-likeness without fretting, the kind of fretting that so often occurs when we miss the mark. I want to frame failing as simply part of the spiritual process of growth. Trying to avoid failure is not the key. Processing failure in the right manner is key. I want to encourage Christians to quickly confess their sins, find God's forgiveness, and get back to the joy-filled business of becoming like Jesus. Final story. Let me tell you about uh, John Bunyan. John Bunyan uh, lived in the 1600s. Uh, you know John Bunyan. He wrote the uh, second most sold book in the English language, second to the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, when he was in his 20s, went through a very dark time. And it, it came out from this. He was trying hard to, to do right, but he kept failing. And he, would just get, he was getting so frustrated with himself, and then he became angry at God. Why, why have you put these standards into place that I cannot live up to? And for a while, he just said, I'm done with that. It was so frustrating to him. But then he had a breakthrough. Let me read. This is from uh, John Bunyan. One day, as I was passing into a field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness. 
so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness, for that was just before him. See what he's grasped? The real me is hidden with Christ in heaven. And when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, or yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See what he's saying there? All of a sudden I realize that my, uh, my goodness was not linked to my performance. If I was acting better, it didn't make me more righteous. And if I was acting poorly, it didn't make me less righteous. I was righteous because of Jesus, and Jesus does not change. Now did the chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. Now went I home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. He went on to write Pilgrim's Progress, which in, in part was, uh, if you were just really quickly about the story, Pilgrim uh, sets out on a journey to get to the uh, celestial city. And that journey is fraught. With, he so often gets off the path, right? And he gets mired down and all kinds of, he's always getting off the path. But the king sends help to him. And, and part of the reason that John Bunyan uh, wrote the Pilgrim's Progress is to help frame for Christians the idea that, that the Christian life is a journey and that when we fail, uh, actually we can learn a lot about ourselves and we can learn a lot about the king. And so Pilgrim, as he goes along the journey, his love for the king grows and grows and grows. And so today, to the degree that your Depression might be caught up in a, a, a sense of, of self-doubt and um, poor self-image and a sense of I'm a failure. God wants to set you free from that today, doesn't he? He wants to set you free from that. I'm going to pray briefly and then have Sabrina come up and uh, facilitate communion. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, the more we look into uh, your good plan for us, what you have for us in Jesus Christ, uh, the more we look into it, the more brightly it shines in our minds and in our hearts. And uh, this truth is, is almost, it's so staggeringly good, it's almost hard to believe that you have freed our self-worth from our performance. That we don't, where do we hear that? The world doesn't tell us that. It is only you who gives us this revolutionary truth. When you are in Christ, his righteousness is yours. Your goodness is freed from your performance. Lord, may that truth set us free today.